Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Sturkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Hey, that's right. Happy New Year. Well, you know, I'm excited. It's a happy new year and we get to start all over again. And you got to agree, 2021, that was ugly. But we had a lot of great stuff happened in 2021. And Tanner, thank you for that slideshow. All of that happened in 2021 in spite of all of the confusion in this world. And so I'm glad that you chose to start your new year by being here on this Sunday morning. And uh, it's my prayer that you'll just be faithful every Sunday as we move through 20 into 2022. Uh, because I think God wants to do amazing things <clears throat> in your life, in your family's life, and in the life of our church. And uh, we want to help you. So in, uh, in that, next Sunday, we're beginning a four-week series. It's called Prayer, the Key to Heaven's Best. And we're going to teach us all how to pray, how to engage with God better. Because truthfully, all of us could improve our prayer life. Amen? You may be a prayer warrior, and man, you're digging into prayer. It can get better. And we're going to learn how we're supposed to pray, the posture we're supposed to pray. I'm, I'm writing this guide, 21 Keys to Prayer, uh, where you can journal. <laughs> and some of you guys just phew, journal. Because your wife's going to write one, and she's going to be writing on the back and tape an extra piece of paper in there. It's going to be beautiful manuscript. And, and dudes, we're going to have like some chicken scratch on there. Okay, but it's okay. We'll start with chicken scratch and let God, by the end of the book, it's our goal. God will be flowing through us, us speaking to us and us speaking to him and us uh, writing things down with an uh, expectant heart. We're going to learn that God wants us to pray. God wants us to look for answers and God wants us to go before him and thank him for being such a good God. And, and we just kind of forget that sometimes. And so we're going to help us as we move forward into the new year. The, the, the great thing about starting a brand new year is we can make changes, right? But I want to tell you right now, if you don't make any changes in this new year, then you can't expect the result to change. Something has to change. And, and maybe you had a fantastic 2021. Well, great. Change some things so that 2022 trumps 2021. Just blows it out of the water. And our goal is not for you to have a good year on your own. It's for you to have a great year in Jesus' name. Because apart from Jesus, we really can't experience anything great in our life. Well, we're, today we're in part two of our message called Kingdom Eve. Uh, if, you weren't, if you were here last year, uh, last year, last year, last year, last week, raise your hand. Okay, good. Some of you weren't, so I'm going to get you up to speed. And on the back of your worship guide, you can take some notes. You can fill in these blanks. Okay. God hit me with this a few weeks ago, Kingdom Eve. And where that came from is the idea, and I keep hearing something, I don't know what that is. Is that me? Does anybody know what? That's freaking me out. What is that? Oh, it's a light moving around or a bear on the roof, one of the two. Okay, we're good. Well, Tanner, maybe you can figure that one out. We're going to press on. So, so Kingdom Eve is about this. Christmas, although it's celebrating the birth of Jesus, the bigger picture of that is that we are celebrating the fact that God honors his word, that God will never say something that he will not fulfill or complete. It goes against his nature and his character. So Christmas uh, was a fulfillment 
of 4,000 years of prophecy. In fact, in Genesis 3, God promised he would send a Savior. 4,000 years later, he became that Savior for us. And so Christmas reminds us God always does what he says he's going to do. And so Christmas Eve was like the day before Christmas. And so when I was thinking about that, it, it dawned on me, what is Eve? Eve, by definition, is the day or period of time before an event or action, by definition. And so kingdom is Jesus coming to this earth with an introduction and an invitation into his glorious kingdom, right? That's what Jesus did when he came. It's, it's the bookend on the left, his first coming. And he's going to come again, just like he said for 4,000 years he's coming, and he did. He said he's coming again, and he will. So we are in the day or period of time before the other bookend when Jesus brings the kingdom to this earth. When, 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 when we come back with him and the kingdom is all together and completed. All right? Now, that being said, it should change the way we live our life post-Christmas. How do we live knowing that the other bookend, the kingdom is coming, uh, one day when Jesus comes back, how are we supposed to live? Well, to look at that, to understand that, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, turn the lights off. I'll preach in the dark. It'll be a candlelight service. We'll hold our phones up like we're at a rock concert. <clears throat> so here's what we're going to do. How are we supposed to live our life? We're going to look back at the uh, post-Christmas account, and we're going to see those people who showed up to see Jesus and how it rocked their world. And so last week, we first looked at the shepherds. And the first point on the back of your worship guide is uh, this. The first point is kingdom declaration. The shepherds showed up, saw Jesus, left, and they made a declaration. Now, a declaration by definition is a formal or explicit statement or announcement. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 17, it says, When they, the shepherds, saw him, they related what they had been told about this child, and all who heard it were astonished. Now, here's the deal. When you have an encounter with Jesus, not, not the story of Jesus or not a, a sermon about Jesus or not a book about Jesus. When you have an encounter with Jesus, you're going to celebrate because you realize there's something <clears throat> cosmically different about Jesus. He is no ordinary man. He was no ordinary baby. He is no ordinary God. He's Jesus, and he causes you the celebration to rise up within you about the greatness of who he is, and it happened in the life of the shepherds. But it didn't stop there. And uh, we see number two is a kingdom celebration. Once you declare it, then look what happens. The story's not over. They, 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 they were moved and changed radically by an encounter with Jesus. It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. A celebration is the action of marking one's pleasure at an important event or occasion. 
They celebrated Jesus. They declared him, man, he is Jesus. He's different. He's uh, God with us, Emmanuel. And now they celebrate it, man. They're just moving. They're going back to the routine of their shepherd life. They're going back to hang out in a field with a bunch of sheep to the routine of life. But in the depths of their heart, they got a reason for celebration. And I want you to know, 2022, it'll include some of the routines of your life. But I want you to know in the middle of that routine, you got a reason to celebrate if you've had an encounter with Jesus. Well, we keep looking and now we look, the shepherds got it, right? And now we look at the wise men. The wise men, number three, is a kingdom exploration. You see, they knew that there was something out there. They, they knew, they had heard the stories that there's something missing within them. They weren't Jewish. They would have been Gentiles. They were educated. They were uh, brilliant men. Uh, they were, they were uh, respected. And, and, and they knew there was something missing. And so they explored. They saw the star in the sky. They knew there was something significant about the planetary adjustments that God had made. And so they went to explore who, what Jesus was all about. Now listen, exploration by definition is the action of traveling in or through an unfamiliar area in order to learn about it. <laughs> we all wise men now. We live in a world where ain't nobody knows nothing. Now, they talk a good game. They tell you they know what's going on. They don't know what's going on. They don't know what's going on. This whole pandemic, what a joke. Not a joke that people die. A joke of how we respond and say, oh, I can fix that. You can't fix that. It changed a moving target, and and the response to it's a moving target. And so I want to tell you, we live in a world where we need to explore. We don't need to explore necessarily that. We need to get to a place where we scratch and dig and claw and hunt for Jesus in our life to make sure that he's everything he's supposed to be in our life. It says that they showed up and they said, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And so they showed up at the wrong place and the wrong time looking for Jesus. They weren't Jewish. They didn't know he was going to be in Bethlehem. They followed the star as long as they could. They showed up in in Jerusalem and they're like, where's Jesus? We came to see Jesus. Where's he at? And and, and they knew, they recognized him. They said just this, and it's important to hear, that they came looking for the one born king of the Jews. And so they explored. Number four was kingdom exaltation. To exalt is the action of elevating someone in rank, power, or character. It says in Matthew 2, verse 11, the wise men, these well-respected, educated, uh, brilliant men, they bowed down and worshiped Jesus. Now, they're they're the wrong place, wrong time. They show up. Probably when Jesus is about two years old, he's no longer at the stable. He's in a house and he's a child. That's what scripture says. And, and so, but even when they showed up, they had explored till they found him. Just like we're supposed to search till we find him. And when we find him, the proper response is to worship him, is to exalt him, is to recognize who he is. Now, the shepherds got it. The wise men got it. Everybody don't get it. In this very place, on this very day, there's some of us who have gotten it. We understand who Jesus is. We've given ourselves to Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. But there's other people that just haven't gotten it yet. Okay? And this is what it looks like. 
Number five is kingdom renunciation. Now to renounce something or renunciate something, it is the formal rejection of something, typically a belief, a claim, or course of action. Number five, kingdom renunciation. Shepherds got it, wise men got it. Now look in Matthew 2, verse 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the time of King Herod. Now, it's interesting to point right here, point out right here, two people, Jesus and King Herod. So we're at a funny place right now because Herod is a guy who has been appointed by Caesar Augustus of the Roman Empire to rule and to keep peace and subjection among the Jews to Rome. And so as Rome often did, they brought some good things to the equation. And so King Herod over uh, the Jews, king of the Jews, he says, listen, we're here. We, we want you to be subject to Rome, but we're going to civilize you. And so what he did is he adopted him in himself. He was not a Jew. He adopted Jewish culture in his life. He would go to temple, to synagogue. Uh, he would read scripture. He would listen to the rabbis teach. He, he was intrigued, man. He was curious about a people who had a relationship with apparently the God who whispered everything into existence. And so he checked it out. He was engaged in it. And, and here's what he did. He said, listen, I like you people, and I'm your king appointed by Rome. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to help you guys be better. So I'm going to build you an amphitheater, beautiful uh, amphitheater he constru had constructed. He said, now we're going to build an indoor theater. He built this great theater. He said, now we need a new harbor so, so we'll get more trade in. He built this fantastic harbor. And the most significant work he did was he rebuilt the temple, temple number two. History says it was more ornate and more beautiful than the temple that Solomon had built. Now, this is all from the hands of King Herod. He's got a good rapport and a good relationship with his people. But at the same time, if you're a king, you're always worried about somebody taking your spot. And so history records that he was concerned that his wife and his children were, uh, were guilty of treason. So he killed them. <laughs> so like, I love God. I love Jews. I love building things. You want to take my throne? Lights out. Killed his own wife and some of his children because he was concerned that they were going to try to overthrow his kingdom. Now let's keep reading in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2. He says, so wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? So Herod's hearing this. Ugh, he didn't want to hear this, right? Who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was alarmed, and all Jerusalem with him. After assembling all the chief priests and the experts in the law, he asked them where the Christ uh, was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they said, for it is written this way, and they quote this prophecy. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are in no way least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Verse 7 says, then Herod privately summoned the wise men and determined from, when, uh, from them when the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and look carefully for the child. For when you find him, inform me so that I can go and worship him as well. 
Now down to verse 16. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became enraged. And he sent men to kill all the children in Bethlehem and throughout the surrounding region from the age of two and under, according to the time when he had learned from the wise men. And so here's what happens. This is King Herod. He's building his little kingdom, right? I mean, he's got a cute little kingdom going. He's got an amphitheater and a theater and a harbor. And he's built a new temple and they like him. And, you know, he's got it going on. He's got a great title. And the wise men show up and say, we're here to see Jesus who's born king of the Jews. Oh, boy. Now, he's at the crossroads. He, he doesn't want to hear this. There's a, listen, when Jesus showed up, he didn't show up with yard signs and bumper stickers and debates so he could campaign and get you to call him king. He showed up born king of the Jews because he came from heaven. He is God. Listen, what you believe about Jesus being the king of the universe does not change the fact that he's king of the universe. Now, the cool part about that is when we get that and we say, oh, well, then I'll just call him king myself. All of a sudden, now we have a great and mighty and good king. And his name is Jesus, a king so good, he would leave the splendor and glory of heaven to come to this earth and die a brutal sacrificial death on a cross for his subjects, those who would call him king. Whew, that's good. Went right over your head. I don't care, it's 2022, I'm excited. Now here's, here's the thing, here's the thing. So Herod now, he's at a crossroads because if, if they're saying some, there's a new king, that means there's a new sheriff in town, right? And Herod doesn't wanna hear that. And so what he does is he, he, he inquires so he can know which babies he needs to kill. And so he murders all the babies, two and under, all the boys, just to be sure that he gets this, quote, baby born king. Now, you say, well, that's horrific. That's terrible. How, how could something so, uh, so terrible go on? Because that's the world that they lived in. Listen, the day after Christmas, Jesus was king. And 2,000 years post-Christmas, Jesus is still king. A billion, billion, billion years from now, Jesus will still be king. Now, here's the thing. All of us, just like Herod, come to a place where we decide, is, Jesus, is it King Jesus or King me? Because I kind of like being king of my own business, right? And what we do then is we, we begin to look at our little kingdom our little temporary <clears throat> kingdom and, and we assign significance to it like look what I'm building here around me look at this little empire I got going on why would I choose to have another king when I can be the king of my own little temporary universe and that's what we do and you say well I don't do it yes you do that's where we live in we all do it here's why because God created you and me in the flesh we have a flesh body. And deep within us, God has planted a spirit. And when, the, when we receive Jesus into our life, we have a spiritual rebirth. And the Holy Spirit then comes in and he seals us and fills us and marks us. And he begins to do a work. And that Holy Spirit on the inside of us begins to try to be the king of the flesh. 
Because the new king is on the inside, fighting from the inside, trying to take over the flesh on the outside. And we don't want that because we've been living in flesh a long time. There's a passage in scripture that says uh, about temptation. It says, there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to all men. But God is faithful, and with every temptation, he will make a way of escape. Now, if you've ever had a hang-up or something, an addiction, maybe substance, maybe pornography or relationship, uh, maybe uh, gossip or lying or, or uh, gluttony, whatever. We all got our list, and you got them too. You got them. Look at the person next to you and just shake your head. That's all you got to do. Mm-hmm. Because you got them. We've all got them because we're all still in unglorified, unredeemed flesh containers with a spirit on the inside, okay? So here's what happens. We start trying to fight temptation, and we go back to it the bottle, the smoke, the eat, whatever, whatever it is. And it dawned on me just a couple of weeks ago. I should have known this for a long time, but I didn't get it, didn't get the memo. The reason often we can't find the way of escape is because we're looking for that way of escape in the flesh, and the flesh doesn't want to escape. You see that? The flesh is carnal. The flesh wants that sin, We've got to look for the way of escape in the spirit. Paul said there's a battle that rages in us between spirit and flesh. And we've got to practice in the spirit overcoming the things in the flesh. And one of those is our personal temporary kingdoms. Now, we might as well go ahead and say that Jesus is king. So whether you believe it or not, let's just say it. Hey, Jesus is king. Just say that. Some of you ain't convinced. Let's say it again. Jesus is king. Yeah, he is. He is. Now, we can, we can own that now or we can wait because one day everybody's going to confess him as king in Philippians 2, 9 through 11. It says, therefore, God, who also highly exalted Jesus and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend or bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the question is, is Jesus really the king of our life or is he just the king of the universe? (laughs) It's kind of an odd question, isn't it? Is he the king of our life or is he just the king of the universe? What we believe about Jesus won't change the world. How we behave for Jesus radically changes everything. You see, the Christian world believes a lot about Jesus. But the Christian world behaves often little for Jesus. Whether Jesus is our king or not is not determined by what we believe It's determined by how we behave. You get that? Because being subject to a king is not a voice. It's a heart condition that changes our life. And so the question is, do we still battle these temporary little kingdoms? Do we still struggle? Herod struggled. He 
Listen, when we have a personal kingdom and it seems to be threatened, the defenses go up and we get in a fighting mode. For Herod, what did it look like? I'm going to kill my wife. I'm going to kill my kids. Oh, there's a baby that's supposed to be born a king. I'll kill all of them. So we killed all the little boys in that area. Do we still do that? Let me give you an example. Yes, we do. In fact, in the world we live in today, it looks much like that day. A man, a woman, a boy, a girl, they come together and they conceive a child. Often it's out of wedlock and, and all of a sudden this conception of a baby threatens their kingdom. It's inconvenient to their kingdom. It's a little maybe embarrassing to their kingdom. So what do they do? Just like Herod, they exterminate any threat to their temporary little kingdom. In America, in 2021, we aborted, in America, we aborted or exterminated or murdered almost a million babies through abortion. Around the world, over 40 million babies in 2021 were terminated. Why? Because we have these temporary little kingdoms. And we'll do whatever it takes to protect our little kingdom. I shared a couple of weeks ago about a recent study, a survey nationwide, revealed that the average Christian in America attends church less than one and a half times per month, right? Less th that's the average Christian in America. I also shared that based on writing my dissertation that over 8,000 churches in America will close their doors for the last Sunday this year. I also shared maybe that 65% of America claim Christianity as their faith. And in the same survey, it showed that less than 27% said they ever attend a worship service. It also revealed that 33% of all of those people who said they were Christian never pray. <laughs> Let me just go ahead and be candidly blunt and mean Okay, if you want to call it that. If you never go to church and you never pray, Jesus ain't your king. You are. Yeah, what are you going to do? That's what I thought. Bring it. The truth is the truth. We live in a culture where preachers don't preach that. Churches don't want to hear that. Because listen, whoo. When you are king of your own little universe and your temporary kingdom, all you want is some ear tickling to tell you what a fine-looking king you are and what a fine little kingdom you're building. You don't want to hear the truth. I'm going to say the truth again. If you, attend the, if, you attend, if you never attend church and you never pray, Jesus is not your king. Just say amen. It's true. Just say amen. You don't have to like it. I didn't say like it. I said say amen. Okay? It's true. And so it goes on. <clears throat> what makes us think that we try to build this little temporary kingdom? Why do people attend church less than one and a half times per month? Because we're building our own little kingdoms. And it looks like luxurious vacations and exotic travels and hunting and fishing and golfing excursions and children's sports that are year-round, no-day taboo for that. 
And it includes family activities because we're so busy during the week, we need some family time. And Sunday just seems to be the most opportune time. All of those are comforts of a little temporary kingdom. And that's where most of Christian America lives. It don't live like that in Africa. It doesn't live like that in Brazil. It's not like that in the Philippines. But in America, postmodern, post-Christian world, that's what it reeks of. And God, Jesus is not our king when that is our life. And so the church looks much like those days because just like Herod, we want a kingdom, but we don't want another king. Ain't nobody in here wants to go to hell when you die, I'm just telling you. You want the kingdom of God as your eternity. Everybody wants a kingdom, but not many people want a new king. I want that kingdom, but I want to be the king of my own. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And and often in the church, we as the pastors and preachers have not done a really good job helping people understand that when we're born again, we have a new Savior, but we got a new King. We have somebody who has made us right for heaven, so we escape the torment of hell. But with that comes Lordship where Jesus is now king, lord, and master of my life. And like Herod, we get to choose whether or not that's going to be for us. Listen, in Matthew chapter 2, we're introduced to two players, Jesus and King Herod. In this little verse, two figures that are standing in opposition to each other. Either Jesus will be king or Herod will continue to be king. Now, there's very little information about King Herod. You can get some stuff about King Herod. And King Herod reported to Caesar Augustus. And you can get some information about Caesar Augustus. But it's interesting to note, historians say all the information on Caesar Augustus or Herod would have been written about 100 years post Caesar Augustus's life. Jesus, on the other hand, has much writings on him, and they were written between 20 and 60 A.D., Anno Domini, after the life of Jesus, after the birth of Jesus. Now, you might hear something about Caesar Augustus or Herod somewhere in school, but Jesus, there's more poems, more songs, more books, and more conversations more debates, and more impact on the world by far from Jesus than any other person in human history. Even in the Islamic Quran, the name Jesus appears more than Muhammad. John said Jesus was the word made flesh, and he dwelt among us. So the Bible is the word of God, which is Jesus on paper, And the Bible is the most circulated, most translated, most read book in the world. And here's an interesting fact. It's also the most shoplifted book in the world. (laughs) Don't steal one. We'll get you one. You don't have to do that. Okay? Now, there's something, a chasm of difference 
between a Jesus who's born king and a self-proclaimed king like Herod or like you or like me. Caesar Augustus was the emperor of that time over Rome. You can find some things, and he was an amazing leader, arguably one of the greatest leaders in human history. But at the end of the day, this is what it looks like. You got Jesus and you got Caesar Augustus. Jesus sits at the right hand of God, the Father, and he has a global community named after him called Christianity. Caesar lays in a mausoleum in Rome, and he has a salad named after him. (laughs) Who's the king now, booyah? You see what that looks like? But in the day, Caesar Augustus was the man. He was the conquering ruler of the world, the most sophisticated uh, kingdom that the earth had ever known. And at the end of it, he gets a salad. And then there's Jesus, born king. And in our lives, we look and we think, look what I'm doing here. Look at my little kingdom, how good this thing is. Our kingdoms are nothing. They're pitiful, they're temporary, and they're ungodly. And meanwhile, Jesus came the first time to say, I am the kingdom. I am the king. I'm inviting you to be a part of a better kingdom that lasts for all of eternity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it helps us know how we know whether Jesus is our king or if we are our own king, right? How do you know? I go to church. So that makes him king of my Sunday morning. If I don't go to church, (laughs) he's not king of my Sunday morning. I give a tithe. I give of my financial resources. That acknowledges him as king over my resources. If I don't, I guess he's not king over my resources. I lead my family, pray for them, encourage them, challenge them with scripture That makes Jesus the king over my family. Or I never do any of that and I just let it go however it wants to go. That means Jesus is not the king of my family. So how do we know deep inside of us then? It's not that hard. It's not rocket science. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 it says, Therefore if any man be in Christ, if any man has made Christ the king of their life, he, that person, is a new creature Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How do you know if Jesus is really the king of your life? Can you look at your life before Jesus and say, that's what my kingdom looks like? I met Jesus. He invited me into his kingdom. I received his grace gift into my life. His spirit came deep inside of me and gave me new birth. He sealed me with the hope of the promise of the future. And now my life looks like this. That's how you know. If you look at your life and you say, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, my life looks just the same, then you're still king of your life. When Jesus comes in to be king, 
there's a new sheriff in town, and it's not you. And so Herod renounced that. He walked away. He did not receive that. Number six on your your worship guide, lastly, is kingdom anticipation. Another way you can find certainty that Jesus is your king. You see, in America, if uh, a couple years ago, if, if Donald Trump was coming to town, and he did, a lot of us go out there and see Donald Trump. I mean, he's a nut. But he's our president, right? And we're we looking for him. We're going to look for him. I didn't go, but I, you know, I would have. Go see Donald Trump. And this is not political, but if Joe Biden was coming down here, one, I don't know if he could make it here. Number two, I wouldn't go see him. I wouldn't go see him. And that's not a political statement. It's just reality. And if you want to go see him, that's fine. I don't care. Okay? But when we have a king that we respect and we revere and we celebrate and we exalt, that we've sought out, if he's coming to town, we're looking for him. We're looking for him. So kingdom anticipation is one way that we know whether he's our king or not. In Matthew 24, 30, it says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. This is the sign of Jesus. All the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man, Jesus, arriving on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Christmas was the fulfillment the revelation of all the prophecies of the Old Testament about his coming. It was a bookend on the left, an introduction and an invitation to the kingdom. Jesus is coming back a second time, and it'll be the fulfillment of the kingdom. And we can look back and say, He did exactly what he said he was going to do in the Old Testament. Because that's what he said he was going to do. So, as I mentioned last week, Scripture talks eight to one more about Jesus' second coming than it does about his first. And he came the first time. You know what that means? He's coming again. Listen to this. In the Bible, there are 1,845 references to Jesus' second coming. There's 17 books in the Old Testament that refer to Jesus' second coming. There's 23 of the 27 books in the New Testament that refer to Jesus' second coming. Seven out of ten chapters in the Bible have a reference to Jesus' second coming. One out of every 30 verses in the Bible refers to Jesus' second coming. In 1 and 2 Thessalonians, the second coming shows up in every chapter. And it's referred to 21 times in those two books. The subject of the return of Jesus is second of all the subject matter in the Bible. First, salvation. (laughs) Listen, the second coming of Jesus 
is significant to God because he whispered it 1,845 times through the theonoustos, the breath of God to man. It's important to God. The second coming of Jesus should be important to everybody who says he's their king. Every day, we should wake up and say, huh, surprised you didn't come last night, Jesus. And during the day, we should be looking, man, like signs of the times. And I've said it before, some of us aren't excited because we haven't experienced everything that we think this life should offer us. Maybe we haven't got that home yet. Maybe we haven't had any children yet. Maybe we haven't gotten married yet. Listen, I've had a home. I've had children. I've been married. I love my wife. I love my kids. But it ain't got nothing on heaven. The absolute best thing you can imagine in your mind, conjure up, the kingdom of God is so eternally greater than that. He's coming back. And so on the darkest day of 2022, and it may be today, it may be tomorrow, I don't know, you can hold your head up. Because if you have made Jesus king of your life, he's coming back to get you. And he's coming back, and then he's going to rule and reign, and we're going to be with him. Scripture tells us over and over and over in the New Testament, in the, New, in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament. And I want to finish with this, because this is where some of us land. Some of us have a kingdom, a little temporary kingdom that we have in our minds lifted up to be so much. And we look like this guy. Acts chapter 26, Paul is preaching to a guy named King Agrippa. He had a little kingdom. And at the end of the message, he shares the gospel. At the end of the message, his response is recorded. King Agrippa tells Paul, in such a short time, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Almost, I'm telling you, the world and the church is full of people who are almost persuaded to become a Christian. We, we adopt or adapt some Christian stuff in our life, but we've never become a Christian. We've never said, Jesus, thank you for inviting me into your kingdom. I ain't sure why you did. I know me, but I'm glad you did. So Jesus, I want you to come into my life I want you to save my wretched soul. And I want you to be the king of my life and the king of my universe. From this moment for, forward, I, I don't want it to look anything like that. I want to be a different person. I want to be, behold, all things are made new. I want to be a brand new creature. I don't want to smell or look or speak or act like that old creature. I want to be a brand new creature. And from this day through all of eternity, I'm giving all of me, which is nothing, to all of you, which is everything. I'm not almost persuaded. I'm born again. Thank you for saving me. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. <clears throat>
I am not here today or any day to persuade anybody to be a Christian. Because if I can persuade you, somebody brighter than me, more articulate than me, more enthusiastic than me can persuade you otherwise. I'm here to tell you today that God sent Jesus to this earth because he loves you. And God laid himself on a cross and died for you. He was born the king. He died the king. He rose on the third day the king. He's alive forevermore today as the king. And a billion years from now, he will still be king. The question is, have you made him king of your life? Have you come to that place where you simply said, hmm, I don't want to play any more games, God. You are the king. Now I want you to be my king. Save me so you can be my king. Today, what a great time to, and a great way to start a new year by giving your life to King Jesus. If you're here today and you need to do that, I want to encourage you. I don't want to persuade you. I want to encourage you to respond to the Holy Spirit's invitation. I'll be standing down here in the front. If you would like to be saved today, come down to the front and let me pray with you and help you nail that down. And for a lot of us, maybe, who have already given Jesus our hearts in salvation, today's the day we give him our lives in obedience. And we let him be king. And we just let him take over our little kingdoms. Maybe if that's you today, you could want to come down and pray to drive a stake in that decision. Father, we thank you for loving us all the time. We thank you for doing something about our broken condition, and his name is Jesus. We thank you, God, that there, we don't have to debate or wonder or, or, or research whether or not Jesus is king. He is the king. He's the king of everything, the absolute universe. All things are created by him, for him, and through him. And that same Jesus wants to come into our life to be the king of our life. Help us be found faithful and obedient to that so that our lives will impact the world. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.